the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, friends. What a beautiful weekend we have here in Portland, a fitting kickoff to the spring season. My name is Mike Lee, and you're listening to Difference Makers. And our very special guests in the studio today are author Bill Perkins. How are you today, Bill? I'm great, Mike. Thank you for coming out. And Scott Stewart. Welcome, Scott, fellow Doc fan. Good to have you here with us. Hi, Mike. And what's really interesting about these gentlemen is the fact that they're involved in something called the Jesus Experiment Crosswalk. And I've got to admit it to you, Bill Perkins, the first I've ever heard of this happened to have been earlier this week at the Christian Chamber of Commerce of the Northwest Lunch and Learn, which we host every month at Hayden's in Tualatin. And you were an incredible keynote speaker. I've seen you speak before maybe three to four years ago, but it wasn't to the depth that you were able to share with us on Wednesday. So for those of us who weren't able to come out to the Christian Chamber Luncheon, can you just give us the big view from 30,000 feet about what you shared with us? Well, when we were, I've been kind of, ever since the Jesus Experiment was published and I've been living this experiment, Mike, um, it's just had a profound effect on my relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that's happened is I've been reading through the Gospels every month since, uh, well, April will be two years. And reading through the Gospels every month really brought me into touch with uh, Jesus in ways that had never happened before. And one of the things I'm seeing are lessons from the scripture that I just hadn't noticed. I mean, for instance, we were talking about John 5, where Jesus went to Bethesda, which was this uh, pool just north of the temple in Jerusalem. It was during the Festival of the Booths, so you have 10,000s of people outside the city walls living in these three-sided booths with a, with a palm branches over the top so they could see the stars at night. And to that context, with all these thousands of, of believing uh, Jews in the city, Jesus goes to this place where there are these pools, and it's where all the disabled people are, the blind, the deaf, the lame. And it was into that context that he spotted one man that for 38 years had been in his affliction, and apparently it was such that he couldn't walk. Uh, he was carried there, he was carried away, and he was waiting for the moving of the Spirit on the waters because the first person that entered the waters after that would be healed. And in that context, Jesus, you know, spoke to the guy. And the first thing he did was he spoke to his dream. He asked him, do you want to get well? Which seems like an odd question on the service. I mean, come on, the guy's been 38 years disabled like that. Do you want to get well? But it is possible for us to be in a situation where we have prayed so often for something to happen. And it has not happened for, say, like 38 years that the dream could die. And so... I think that's an important question he asked him, and I think it's a question that he asks us as well, is, you know, do you want to be well? And then the second thing that he did was he healed a guy. He said, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the guy got up and took his mat and walked. And this is kind of fascinating to me because um, in that situation, Jesus did not heal um, everybody that was in the pool. He picked out one single guy, and he healed him. And we have no idea why he healed him, but he healed him. And then um, then. Something happened that's never happened before in the Gospels with Jesus. He actually hunted the man down in the temple and found him 
And having done so, he said to him, you've been made whole, but don't keep sinning or something worse will happen to you. And I think what he was doing there was protecting the man's future. And the illustration I gave was we live in West Lynn and Rosemont's one of the main feeder roads there off Stafford. And it's a winding kind of a country like road. And it's a pretty drive. It's beautiful. Oh, it is. It's beautiful there. And um, <laughs> I had only seen a speed trap there once. And that was last year when I was actually, you know, driving down Rosemont. And sure enough, there was the cop. And uh, when I got, uh, uh, when I had an opportunity, I quickly called my wife and uh, warned her that you need to stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And she uh, said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, there's a speed trap on Rosemont Road. And uh, if, you, if you drive like you normally do down Rosemont, you're going to get a ticket. And, uh, and, and I think that's what he was doing with that man. You know, you've been made whole. And, of course, there's so many other issues that, we t- that I was able to talk about in the context of that delicious lunch at Hayden's Grill, and I mean, were you blown away by how good the food is there? You know, I've been going there for enough years, and I'm not surprised. But I they mean, for a lunch, and, care of us. yeah, sure. you expect chicken or something like that that hadn't got any moisture in it. Man, here we had roast beef and potatoes and beans. It was just delicious. And and I've had was. lovely breakfasts there as well, outside of Christian Chamber functions. Yeah. Good yeah. place to eat. We love Hayden's. But with more time, you know, to really talk about, for instance... Um, what about healing today, and why does God heal some and not all? And um, when we pray for people, what can we expect if we pray for them to be healed? Um, you know, lots of things like that also came out in the course of the talk, which, of course, I love to talk about because part of the transformation in my life is, as I mentioned, I used to be a cessationist, and I prayed for someone that got healed, and I wasn't a cessationist anymore. So what does that mean, being a cessationist? Well, I, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and thank God, I mean, I loved it. I learned to study the Word, uh, learned the languages, which I've now forgotten. Um, got to stand under some great guys, Howard Hendricks, who's now with the Lord, had Robinson, Charles Ryrie, John Walver, and all these phenomenal men of God and amazing teachers. But one of the things that we that, that we learned was that the miracles of Jesus were performed for the person purpose of authenticating the message of the gospel and the kingdom of God and the messenger to prove he was truly who he said he was. A litmus test. A litmus test. And uh, so in the beginning of the book of Acts, you also see Peter and Paul and the apostles performing these miraculous signs for the same purpose I was taught. And by the end of the book of Acts, they've kind of, you know, withered away and are non-existent. And so today, it's not that God doesn't heal. He does heal, of course. I mean, I, I would, as a cessationist, have held to the idea that he heals, certainly. But no one has the gift of healing. That's, that had passed away, I was taught. And healing is not something that's, uh, that, that happens very often. And I actually uh, was in Louisiana speaking, and um, I had an opportunity to talk to a woman and pray for her, and on the spot she was healed. And I can simply say that my cessationist theology was kind of overshadowed by the reality of what I had just seen take place in front of me. So did you doubt your eyes? Did you absolutely flip or what? Well, it was interesting because um, what she reminded me of was a kid who wants something very badly for Christmas, but they know they're not going to get it. But they keep asking for it anyway, but they don't think they're going to get it. But on Christmas Day, there's a package, can't be what they hope they get. But they unwrap this package and they open it, and lo and behold, it's what they hoped they would get. So their eyes get big and they're all excited, and that's what happened with her. Her eyes got big and she was all excited, kind of almost disbelieving that what had happened had actually taken place. And meanwhile, I'm standing there going, what is going on here? So for our skeptical sides, can you share with us what you 
uh, witnessed her being healed from? Well, actually, what happened was uh, part of the cessationist viewpoint also was that God does not speak to us today. Uh, That is to say, the message from God is in the Bible. That doesn't mean God can't speak to people today. Uh, This isn't, I mean, as a cessationist, I never would have said God can't. I would say it's not normative. And in this instance, I was actually in a church as a cessationist, and I kept hearing this name, Lisa, um, abortion, Lisa, abortion. And so I asked the sound guy, is there someone here named Lisa? And he looked for her and said, yeah, but I can't spot her. And I said, well, if you do, tell me. And he did. And and what had happened to Lisa was she had not had an abortion herself, but when her mom was pregnant with her, her dad demanded that she get an abortion, and the mother refused to do so. And so you have a girl that probably had serious attachment issues and some major issues in regards to feeling rejected by her father. Um, and that's a whole different issue. The development of the right side of the brain happens when, when a child, hardwiring happens when the child's in the mother's womb, and that continues until they learn to speak, when the left side of the brain really begins to develop. That's a very brief summary of complicated stuff. But um, in this instance, she had some emotional issues that were pretty severe, and I prayed for her first. And in that context, something powerful happened there. And then I asked her if she had any physical issues, and she said, yeah, that her, uh, uh, she had acid reflux, reflux and that she was on meds, but that damage had been done to her throat, and she was just kind of living in constant throat pain. And so I prayed for her throat, and when I finished, the pain was gone. Um, since then, I've seen some things happen a bit more dramatic, but nevertheless, that was the first instance in which I prayed for someone and they were healed. And it's been, uh, it's all flowed from the Jesus experiment. It has. Everything has happened because I lived that experiment and in living it, connected with Jesus Christ in a way I never have before. So, Bill Perkins, you've written this book, The Jesus Experiment. In the next minute, give us the big picture of your book. Well, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And how do we test that? Well, how about if we follow him into situations like Gethsemane, where he was fearful, and we identify what did he feel, think, say, and do. And then the next time I'm in a fearful situation, I ask myself, well, what am I feeling, thinking, saying, and doing it, doing, and then ask God to bring me into alignment with Jesus. And as I began to pray that and live that experiment, what happened was I began to connect with Christ and his humanity and understand him in ways that I never had before, in transformational ways. So we are going to return briefly, and when we do, what we want to do is connect what you've come up with in your book, The Jesus Experiment, Bill Perkins, and connect it to you, Scott Stewart, and what's coming up on Saturday, April 19th, the Saturday before Easter, which is the Jesus Experiment Crosswalk. It's going to begin at noon and end at 4, check-ins about 9 a.m. We're going to have more information for you about that. And right now you are listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Clark Hilton is a good-looking man across the glass. Congratulations on fatherhood, my friend. Nice to see you. Less sleepy than last week. It gets better until they become teenagers. But Our special guests in the studio today are Scott Stewart and Bill Perkins. And we're talking about not only Bill Perkins' book, The Jesus Experiment, but how that led to the upcoming event on April 19th, The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk. You may want to find more information online at jecrosswalk.com. The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk also has a Facebook page. And let's get back to you, Bill. Tell us how we went from 
your experiment, the Jesus experiment, um, what's what's the big picture in 30 seconds or less? And how did we connect with Scott about the crosswalk event? Well, the Jesus experiment, of course, brings people into a, a deeper relationship with Jesus. And Scott and I were having lunch um, because the company that he works for needed a keynote speaker for their um, oh, a, kind of a, a reward that they gave to their key producers around the country. And the person, uh, so they asked Scott for a recommendation, and he recommended me, and we got together for lunch, and having recommended me, wanted to know if it was something I would like to do. So we got together for lunch, and at towards the end of that, he, I, you know, of course, I was telling him about the Jesus experiment, how God was changing my life through this whole process, and then he began, he shared with me a vision that he had had that was very vivid and very real. And out of that vision really came the combination of the Jesus experiment with this idea of a crosswalk in Portland. So let's put you on hold, Bill Perkins. And Scott Stewart, I'd like to introduce you to our listeners. Can you give us a background of where you're from, where you grew up, and how this led to the crosswalk vision? Native Oregonian, been here for 54 years. Duck fan, yes, uh, Mike Lee and I. We and are. Uh, hopefully the beavers will still listen. <laughs> well, I'm a beaver fan. I'm listening. You know what? I heard an interesting argument about that, and that was that beaver fans always want the ducks to lose, whereas duck fans don't wish anything ill against the beavers unless they're playing the ducks. Oh, I wonder. Gosh, I wonder the validity of that. You know what? Oh, that's gosh, another Mike. show segment. Oh, Clark You're shaking so his head harsh. at me. Oh, You're I, being so I, harsh. We better get back to Scott Stewart here. We'll drop our duck talk. <laughs> I won't go time, there. That's too political for this morning. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I've been a native Oregonian here. Uh, I met Jesus at age 15, and and uh, been growing in Christ ever since. Uh, attended a a church that I would consider conservative. Um, you know, so like Bill's background, uh, many of our pastors at our church uh, had Dallas theological background, Multnomah University, Western Seminary. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those uh, uh, things that happened to me that was so out of character. Uh, 2009 Northwest Men's, Conference, Northwest Men's Conference, in which Bill was one of the uh, keynote speakers there, Joe White from... Uh, Canicook Camps and uh, Men at the Cross Ministries was the featured speaker. It was a Friday night, and uh, I'm sitting with a couple of my buddies, and this is a men's conference, so there's seven, 800 guys there. And as Joe White is doing a one-man dramatization of a Roman cross builder, he's been told by the Romans that he needs to get three crosses built ASAP, and if he doesn't get them done in, in a specific amount of time, that they're going to throw him up as a fourth so he's not real happy. He's scowling. He's coming in and he's talking. And you're wondering, as an as a person in the audience, where's this leading? And so he gets up there, pulls out his tools, and begins to hack and hammer and chisel on the wood. And the wood chips are flying into the audience. And so it's pretty riveting. And as we're sitting there, I see the screen behind the podium light up with what I saw was the steel bridge, and I saw hundreds of Christians carrying life-size crosses going across it. So I leaned to the right to my buddy Mark, and I said, how did he do this? How did he pull this off without the Christian community knowing uh, that he was doing this? We Certainly we would have heard about this, and certainly it would have cost thousands of dollars. And Mark looked at me and he said, buddy, I don't see a thing. And I just went, oh boy. So I turned to my left to Kent, my dear friend, and I said, Kent, do you see what I'm seeing up here? And Kent goes, I don't see anything. So 
I told Mark, Kent, and Larry, my three buddies, I called Joe White after the event was over, and Joe said, you know, buddy, I I don't know what it means either, but if you figure it out, I'm all in. And I told my wife, and I stuffed that for two and a half years. And that brings us up to Bill uh, when we met in uh, January of 2012, um, my insurance company called me, my vice, uh, vice president of marketing. He said, uh, hey, we know you know Randy Alcorn. Can you get Randy to come speak at this, uh, this top agents convention? And I laughed and said, no, Randy doesn't do the business rah-rah stuff. But I'd been reading Bill's book uh, on Christian leadership and uh, devotionals, and I remembered him from two other events where he was talking, uh, and he was very business-related. And I, I said to Dan, I said, Dan, I know this guy, Bill. I think he might be able to fit the ticket. And he says, well, tell him this is what we want and see if he'll do it. So I called Bill out of the blue and I said, Bill, I, you don't know me from Adam, but I've got a, a paid for event and they pay good money. They'll fly you back there. Are you interested? And Bill said, well, yeah, that's what I do. So we met. And as Bill said before, uh, he he told me what he did. I said, you're perfect for this. Uh, and then he said, you know, I, I can't really give you anything for this, but I do have a new book that just came out. And I looked at the front cover of the book and I saw this footprint on water and I thought, wow, this is really unique. I go, Peter or Jesus? And he said, Peter. And I said, okay, so do you really believe we can walk on water? And he leaned over and said, absolutely. And right at that moment, I knew I had to share with him what I saw. And he's the only other person other than those other people two and a half years prior to that that I, I mentioned this to. And Bill leaned forward, and he looked at me, and he says, are you kidding me? And I looked at him and said, pretty crazy, huh? And he goes, no. He goes, Scott, this is, I've been praying for this. And I went, don't patronize me. You have not. And he goes, no, I have been praying for this. I tell you that. He goes, if I got a couple guys together next week, would you be willing to come down and share this with them? I said, well, sure. I'll, yeah, I'll come down. I, and I walked away literally from that meeting, and I thought, eh, that's not going to happen. And Bill called me the following week on a Monday, and he says, look it, come down, meet us here. I want you to share that vision. I walked into that room on that day, and they're all looking at me, and they said, what did you see? And I told them what I saw. And they said, when's this supposed to take place? I said, Easter weekend. This Easter? I said, no, I don't think so. We don't have enough time. This was February, 1st of February. And they said, what day? I said, Saturday. And that's all. That's it. I knew it was on a Saturday. I knew it was on Easter. I did not know what Easter. I'd stuffed this for two and a half years because it was so bizarre uh, that that I knew that the people that were my dear friends and my pastors would probably look at me with deer in the headlight look, which they have. So that's the story right there. Not everyone encounters people that have dreams and visions on a regular basis. So for some of us, it's a real foreign ground. So can you explain to us over the years with your conservative upbringing and background, the number of visions you have seen before this crosswalk and the number of visions you've seen since? Well, really, honestly, no visions like this. This was, this was on a, a screen scrolling before me like a, like a PowerPoint video uh, coming out. Um, but only you saw it. Only I saw it. Now, it's, it's very what, field of dreams, you know, pretty like much no one else around you. Yeah. Sitting with you. Yeah. Saw what you saw. But since then, I can go back in my life and I can pinpoint 
various times where I I now know that God had a hold of me, gripped my heart, and was calling me to him, because things would happen to me in my life that just didn't happen to other people in my sphere of influence, like friends, coworkers, and and I would stuff it. I just wouldn't say anything. I, you can call it pride. You can call it whatever you want. But or maybe it was embarrassment. Maybe, maybe well, it was embarrassment. You want people to think less of you or think you were crazy. Yeah. But part of it is, though, um, <clears throat> because of my theological background and training, anything like that would have been uh, ascribed to imagination. I mean, I've, if if I had a dream or if I thought I, you know, any, anything like that for me, uh, it, it because of my what I'd been taught and what I believed, it it just would have been, you know, written up for, for imagination. You kind of poo-pooed it. Yeah. And that's what I believed and that's what I taught. This is the first reaction I got from my parents at 15. I, I knew I had made the decision for Christ, and I was so excited when I came back from the trip. I, I, I said, Mom, Dad, they're both standing there looking at me, and I said, I've made a decision. And they looked at me and kind of lowered their eyebrows and said, oh, okay. And I said, I have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ the rest of my life. So was this a youth group function or something? Well, it was a actually, a, it was a choir trip uh, mm-hmm. it, during high school, public public uh, school. And we went over to Vienna, Austria for the Youth and Music Festival in Vienna, Austria. And I had a choir teacher that was absolutely phenomenal, uh, taught many years at Portland Christian. But for 10 years, he was at San Barlow High School and had an effect like no tomorrow on the kids that were there. Many kids came to Christ through his faith in Christ and how he lived his life so while I was there, I made that decision as a, a 15-year-old going between sophomore year and junior year. It was the summer, and it was a 21-day trip. But I'll never forget my mom and dad's look, and it, and it set the precedent for what I was up against for the rest of my life with my newfound faith. My mom and dad looked at me, they looked at each other, then they looked back at me and they said, oh, well, that, that's nice. And I knew right then they didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, but they were going to then watch me and see if I was actually going to do what I said I was going to do. So it's incredible, the effect of your public school upbringing and this choir director taking on this awesome trip musically and culturally, and in the midst of all this excitement, God touched your heart. Absolutely. So when we return, what we're going to do is get into more specifics about the crosswalk, but I wanted people to get to know about you in particular, Scott. You're an insurance guy. What do you do today? Tell us about your family a little bit. You know, I've got uh, three lovely daughters. Uh, They're all turning 30, 27, and 23 uh, this summer. Uh, My oldest daughter and and her husband and my grandson live in San Jose. Uh, He's a contractor. My wife or my uh, daughter, Danny's my oldest, and she's in San Jose. She works uh, for her Uncle Don, who has a gunsmith shop. So she's learning how to gunsmith. And uh, and I've got an eight-and-a-half-year-old grandson. And then my middle daughter, Megan, actually is the marketing director for Meals on Wheels here in Portland. She is a 2010 graduate of University of Oregon, proud papa. And also my daughter, Tara, who uh, is a 2013 graduate of the University of Oregon. My wife uh, works with me. We're team teammates in the business, Christian Ministries Insurance. And uh, for 30-plus years, I was uh, selling secular insurance, primarily commercial insurance here in the Portland area, and uh, it's a whole other story for another time, but God called me out of that, and I now work out of my house. I represent one company only. It's a Christian company, Brotherhood Mutual Insurance Company, and I uh, represent churches, Christian camps, schools, seminaries, and related ministries. Radio stations. 
The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk is coming up the Saturday before Easter on April 19th, when we return more with Bill Perkins and Scott Stewart on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. The website address is jecrosswalk.com. That represents the Jesus Experiments Crosswalk. It's coming up on the Saturday before Easter, which is Saturday 19th. Check-in begins at 9, walk begins at noon. It's going to wrap up by 4. God willing, we're going to get a beautiful day. And it tends to be like that around Easter more often than not. And you know what? If it's not the sunniest of days, welcome to Oregon, folks. We can go out there in our little uh, baseball caps and umbrellas and deal with it because... We are Oregonians. So in the studio are author Bill Perkins from The Jesus Experiment, and we're continuing our talk with Scott Stewart, who had the initial vision about this crosswalk, which he ended up sharing with Bill years later, and now it comes to fruition. So Scott, can you continue on your story about the walk itself? To me, and probably to our listeners, you just seem like a regular guy whose heart was touched by the Lord at age 15 in front of skeptical parents and a skeptical world that we live in. And you're not one of these people going to church seven days a week, swinging off the chandeliers. And I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying you're a regular guy. You're a duck fan. You're a father. You're a grandfather. You're you're an insurance guy. About as normal as you could get. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So to happen to me is pretty phenomenal. But, you know, you look at the scriptures, God uses little people in little places all the time. And if anything, I think he uses them more than the more visually impressive people, because doesn't he shine more through the less likely people, through the, through the stuttering Abrahams of the world? Because, Absolutely. well, that guy's an idiot. It must be the Lord working through him. Yeah. You know, we, we look at, there's several things as a Christian that we can we can do to display our faith. Obviously, uh, by sharing our faith is is a big thing. Um, you know, people put they put signs, they they put bumper stickers, they wear jewelry, um, and then we can go as far as communion service uh, during a church service. That's a a symbol of your of your relationship with Jesus and identifying in his his death uh, through the uh, the blood and the covenant. You know, the sacraments, and then there's the the baptism. You know, you can get baptized, which is an outward uh, showing of your faith. And this carrying of the crosswalk is just another way. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, uh, if you really wish to follow me, you must deny yourself, which is what Bill talks about in his book. Uh, it's talking about denying ourselves and understanding who we are in Christ. And Jesus said, you got to deny yourself. I have to be number one in your life. And when I become number one in your life, then you can pick that cross up and I will bear your burdens but you need to pick that cross up. And it's not a leather-lined, air-conditioned instrument. It's an instrument of death. And it's a signal that we must die to ourselves and we must live in Jesus Christ and follow him. So this, this experiment, this crosswalk, three miles, it is not for the faint of heart. That's a 45-pound cross, three people carrying it. The, pr- the person in the front is going to carry the brunt of that weight. But it's a three-mile or a 5K walk and I guarantee when you finish this silently in front of downtown Portland, you're going to have a little bit different perspective on what your Lord and Savior did for you. So tell me, both Bill and Scott, why are you doing this? Why are you doing the Jesus Experiment crosswalk? Is it a Christianese, churchy, rah-rah, look-at-us type moment? Where is your heart on this? Well, let me say what it is not. What it is not it is not an evangelistic effort. 
Our purpose is not to uh, hand out gospel tracts as we, you know, walk along the waterfront, you know, carrying these crosses. It's not to, uh, obviously, it will make somewhat of a statement, but the real purpose of this is uh, live this experiment, connect with Christ, and then find out what happens when we follow in his steps. It is a silent walk. We're, you know, we're encouraging people not to get involved in conversations, uh, to just focus on Christ, make it a quiet walk. And the purpose is to draw people closer to Jesus Christ, to connect with him by publicly carrying this cross, and then to to, to be able to have something that they will be able to look back on, I think, for the rest of their lives and say, without question, that was the most memorable Easter season I've ever had in my life. Every Easter, maybe I've gone to a breakfast, uh, maybe I've gone to a Friday night dinner, maybe I've gone to a Saturday morning breakfast, but what I have never done the season of Easter, the Saturday before, is carried across through my city like we are going to be doing on Saturday morning. In that sense, I think it is going to be a very powerful, memorable experience for individuals, their friends, their family members who helped them carry the cross. And as Scott said, yeah, it, the, the person up front carries most of the weight, but again, there's three people carrying it, so you can switch around and keep the weight from being something that would actually you know, discourage somebody from wanting to carry it. So we... We as humans, we plan, but then God oversees and allows what he allows. So, Scott, what are you envisioning in this Jesus Experiment crosswalk coming up? You know, for me personally, uh, it's a time for me to make a stand with my faith. Uh, the church is taking it into shorts right now. Uh, they're, they're, nobody can deny that uh, the church is, is a, being attacked, whether it be politically, whether it be spiritually— um, especially here in the Northwest, you know, we're, we're the least churched population in the nation. Three out of a hundred people attend church here in Oregon. And we're just one behind or one ahead of Washington, which is four out of a hundred. You go anywhere else in the United States and it's three out of 10, four out of 10, but we are a very dark place here. So for me, it's to make a stand for my faith, but for others, it's going to be a time for recommitment. It's a, it's reconnecting with the savior. It, it, it's stepping out in the fear uh, you know, Jesus says, "Perfect love casts out all fear." When you when you carry this cross, it's a symbol that you're willing to put your life on the line for the person that you've placed your faith and your trust in, Jesus Christ. And then, I, I honestly am I'm a churchman at heart. If you talk to my pastors, they'll tell you I am a true churchman. I love the body of Christ, the 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 whole, the the universal body of Christ, and I see this event as. Uh, it's not. It has no social agenda. It has no political agenda. We're not bringing signs. We we dis- discourage people from bringing signs. Do not bring signs. Do not bring statements. Do not sing. This is a silent walk. The cross of Christ has the same relevance today that it did two thousand years ago. And unless we can come to the foot of the cross, we will not be able to be, uh, as as Bill says in the Jesus experiment, we will not be able to experience the abundant life that Jesus is willing to give us if we can't lay our cares and our worries at the foot of the cross. And, and I want to see the unification of the body of Christ. I want to see uh, interracial. I want to see both Pentecostal and, and, and conservative, uh, both denominational and non-denominational, Catholic, Protestant, this is a time for the, the unification of the body of Christ to come together so that those watching it will be able to say, you know, look it, they're one. They are one in the body of Christ. And that is probably the biggest thing that God has for us as a people is that 
is that we're unified. It's the unity of the body of Christ. Yeah, and it's really cool to think about that we will have people from different churches and different denominations that will be participating in this. This is not a a uh, church-sponsored event in the sense that it's not uh, an identification with uh, a particular you know brand of Christianity. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite them to join us to take up their cross and to follow uh, Jesus Christ in this sort of a in this sort of a public display of following in His steps. I love the events and the functions and the productivity that we're seeing lately. For example, we had uh, Ignite, which was a women's conference of all ages, races, and denominations. They had a citywide worship band. They had Art of Dance. And it wasn't about look at me. It was about look at him. It wasn't about my building or my denomination. It is. It was about we as the church, the body of Christ, which transcends all walls or meeting places or buildings altogether. So it's really, in my opinion, an encouraging thing to see, and hopefully momentum will build from this. So do you have any reservations for um, anyone going through this? Uh, For instance, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily an age limit, but a strength limit. You're, You're equating this to a 5K, not just walking or running a 5K, but carrying a physical heavy cross. So um, what common sense boundaries or suggestions would you have? Well, if people have uh, some issues, physical issues, uh, you can still carry the cross. Just don't be the guy or the gal in the lead uh, carrying the brunt of the cross. Be in the back. The back is very lightweight. The middle is is semi-lightweight. And as Bill said before, you know, we, we don't discourage people from talking while they're walking. We don't want them to do that, but they need to communicate with one another if there's a little pain going on. So if somebody needs to switch positions, uh, you know, they can just stop for a moment and and one person can come to the front, the other person drop to the middle. Um, but we are, we are uh, concerned that youth under the age of 15, they really need to be uh, with their parents or with two other adults. So we're not discouraging youth but we want to make sure that this is appropriate. It's age appropriate for the for the weight of the cross and the balance of the cross, uh, the way that it's uh, being held. And you can see that on the website. There's a video, and it shows you how to carry that cross. And we will also give you instructions the day of. And that website address is jecrosswalk.com. They also have a Facebook page at The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk. And that's going to be coming up on the Saturday before Easter. That is April 19th. Bill, would you like to add to that? Well, we actually um, did a little test walk last year in uh, Tillamook. And I think we probably had between, I don't know, I think around 20 crosses if you take them all into consideration. And, I mean, there were crosses with, I mean, elderly women carrying crosses. Uh, There were teenagers carrying crosses. There were men carrying crosses. And it was really cool because what we got most of all were honks of affirmation and thumbs up and, and and other people that understood this was a spiritual exercise. The believers were celebrating with us. And I think even people who weren't respected the fact that this was a silent crosswalk. No one's carrying placards or signs or handing out tracts or any of that sort of stuff. This is a personal act of devotion to Jesus Christ. I wouldn't imagine Jesus out on the top of a flatbed a trailer with a <laughs> megaphone and a PA system. Yeah, right. So thank you for sharing with us about the Jesus Experiment Crosswalk, Bill Perkins and Scott Stewart. You are listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800.
Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800 with our very special guest, the author of The Jesus Experiment, Bill Perkins. And Scott Stewart, you're in the middle of sharing not only about your background and upbringing and how God gave you this vision for The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk years ago before you had met Bill Perkins here. So tell us about uh, your earlier statements, guys, about how unchurched the Pacific Northwest tends to be and how this event can help make an impact toward that. Yeah, we we live in a, I would call it a a cloud cover of uh, uh, darkness here in the Northwest. Uh, One of the most beautiful places, clean air. Uh, I've been to almost every state. This is, you know, I don't want to make this a, a, a push for Oregon and to move here, but we live in one of the most beautiful states that there is. The unfortunate part about it is, spiritually, we're about as dead as a doornail when it comes to those things. So um, you, when you look at you know the spiritual darkness that is that is faced with, we've got some really powerful ministries that are going on here. Louise Palau is one of them. Uh, we've got some of the uh, number one uh, ministries dealing with the sex slave trade because Portland is the sex slave trade city in the whole United States. We're, we're known for harboring terrorists. I mean, this is an area that is dark. And so God, I feel, is about ready to bust loose here in this in this area. And I feel that's one of the reasons why Bill wrote that book and he gave me that vision. Uh, I'll, I'll just hop into the Chris Tomlin concert that was on last year. Tell us about that. And, and you know, it was the first, it was, I hate to say this, I, I don't go to concerts, but I my wife said, you've got to go with me. And I will be honest, I did not know who Chris Tomlin was. Okay, I'm just being now, is honest. Your, is the church that you attend regularly one that has contemporary worship where you might hear a lot of Chris Tomlin songs but not know it's Chris Tomlin? Or are you more, say, traditional or hymn-driven and never even heard a Chris Tomlin song? We sing Chris Tomlin songs all the time. You I'm, just didn't know I'm it was Chris just, Tomlin. I'm a moron and I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I just don't know. Okay, so uh, as I'm listening to Chris Tomlin, I turn to my wife and go, Hey, we sing that song in church. And she's just <laughs> shaking her head at me going, are you kidding me? So um, this was the first concert where he sang God's Great Dance Floor. And I got to tell you guys, I got choked up. I mean, I'm looking at this thing and listening to this guy. And I'm thinking, this is what's going to happen when we get to heaven. We are, gonna, we are going to be dancing on God's Great Dance Floor. And he came out after Louis Giglio gave the, the, the middle um, talk he came out and he looked at us and he stopped the music and he said, Portland, there is something going on here. The spirit is moving. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something going on here. And he goes, would you follow me to Seattle? I'm not sure I'm going to get this reception up there. And it was amazing. And that was my first Christian concert. So... That must have just blown you away. What kind of concerts are you used to going to over the years, Scott Stewart? <laughs> I hate I hope to I admit it. I do too badly on this. Listen, I didn't choose to go to these, and they're not my favorite singers. But Barry Manilow, probably about fifteen, twenty years ago, and then I did go to I did go to one that was very patriotic by Neil Diamond. I must admit, it was it was very good. I'm not admitting I listen to those people all the time, okay? But I'm just saying those are the only concerts I've been to are those three. That's it. So Chris Tomlin was pretty okay. 
Uh, Chris Tomlin was really over the top, and I'm sold on Chris Tomlin. And what it's done for me is it's hooked me into listening to Christian music, which my wife loves now because I'm a smooth jazz guy. So I've kind of gravitated from listening to that to uh, uh, Christian music. Which leads to a shameless moment of self-promotion. Fish Fest is coming to Riverfront Park in Salem, Oregon, August 16th. Not only with co-headliners in Jeremy Camp and Mercy Me, but they're also going to have rapper Trip Lee, Britt Nicole, and the rockers known as Red. So it's going to be a great show at Riverfront Park, and I'm hoping that you can join us. Yeah, I hope so, too. That'd be Me great. Too. What kind of music are you into, Bill? Well, I like a, a lot of different kinds of music, too, but I really do like uh, Christian worship praise music. Um, I, spend, I think that worship is the highest form of prayer. And I spend an awfully lot of time, uh, you know, listening to music that really draws me into the presence of the Lord. You know, I love Jesus culture. I like Chris Tomlin. I like, um, you know, I like that sort of music that uh, just really lifts up the Lord and enables me to enter his presence as I worship. On the secular side, hey, you know, I like, um, I've got so many stations on my uh on my Pandora that it's hard for me to identify any particular brand that I like because it goes all the way from classic to country Western to pop to, you know, I just, I like a wide variety of music, but my favorite is definitely worship because that really ushers me into the presence of God, allows me to praise him. You're on a desert Island and you can take three CDs with you. Who do you bring? Well, I guarantee you, I'm going to, I'm going to bring i I'm going to bring Jesus culture. I'm going to bring, um, uh, I'm going to probably bring some Chris Tomlin, and then I would probably also like to bring some classical. Very good. Scott Stewart, how about you? Do we have Barry Manilow and uh, Neil Diamond in our repertoire? No, I, no? You know, this reminds me of a confessional in here, so I might as well just confess my sins before the world. Uh, I am a sap when it comes to Christmas music, and my family knows this. They They just shake their head, but... Uh, and certain people, when they call me on the phone, they'll say, is that Christmas music you're listening to in the background? And I have this on Pandora when I'm sitting at my desk. I listen to Christmas. Uh, usually it's a smooth jazz combination of Charlie Brown, which is my favorite CD. I adore the Vince Guaraldi trio. It, it, the Vince Gar- anything by Vince Guaraldi is absolutely fantastic. Um, the Carpenter's Christmas album is absolutely the best Christmas album ever. And and then I would go with Manhattan Transfer's first Christmas album. I, I am that's jazz to me. I'm really into that. But you know, when you look at Christmas music, I listen to it from November first to March thirty first. So I'm actually gonna go into a state of depression here pretty soon because March thirty first is approaching. You know, that is really weird. A couple of Christmas regular music guys all the here. time. What can I say? That's kind of interesting, Scott. I didn't know that one. Scott Stewart and Bill Perkins. Uh Make sure that you come out, folks. It'll be in Portland. The check-in location is, conveniently enough, at the Oregon Convention Center in the South Parking Lot. All the details on the day, which is Saturday before Easter, April 19th, they're going to be up on the website, jecrosswalk.com. They also have a Facebook page up at The Jesus Experiment Crosswalk. Bill Perkins, anything you'd like to share in our last minute or two? Well, I do believe that um, as folks go to the jecrosswalk.com and watch that video, I think they're going to be inspired. And I really hope that uh, a lot of the people out in the listening audience are going to be able to join us on this. On this, Really, I think it's going to be a milepost event. I believe that it will be one of the most memorable experiences of their Christian life. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing as many of them as possible there at the convention center on Saturday the 19th uh, before Easter. 
And how about you, Scott Stewart? Well, the one thing I want to remind people is that this is uh, pre-registration only. We're not taking registrations on the day of. So when you check in, you've got to uh, pre-register, bring your slip of paper with your barcode on it, um, and that registration will probably stay open uh, prior to the event up to the Give us a deadline. Deadline is probably going to be uh, right around the week before the event, which would be, I believe, the 12th. Uh, and so please get your registration as soon as possible, and then uh, we'll meet you at the check-in table. And there are also a limited number of crosses. So, you know, if folks want to do it, it's not a bad idea to get to the website, you know, earlier rather than later to be sure that, that we still have crosses. And do not bring your own cross. We are providing the crosses. And the crosses will be donated to Habitat for Humanity after the event. Now, how neat is that for whether people believe in the Lord or do not? They're seeing these people taking these crosses, and when they're done, not just trashing them, but using the resources for Habitat for Humanity. JECrosswalk.com is the website for you to check out. Thank you so much, Scott Stewart and Bill Perkins, for being our very special guests on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.